Welcome to the Greater Church Podcast. We are praying that wherever you find yourself on the journey, that this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. And now, here's today's message. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing, watch this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and he was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, huge. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, uh-uh, Lord, you ain't finna touch my feet. <laughs> Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered it and said, what I am doing now, you do not understand but you will know after this. And Peter said, no, you not. You're not touching my feet. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, bro, you have no part with me. I mean, that's, that's a big statement. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet only, but you can wash my hands and my head. Jesus said, that's kind of weird. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Hey, over the next few minutes, I want to speak to you from this idea or from this, this topic or this subject. See the tipping point. See the tipping point. Let's pray. Um, Father, we love you. My God, I pray that you would speak. John 3.30, Lord, let me decrease that you may increase, Lord. Help us to see your heart. Help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be, Lord. Let there be clarity in this room, Lord God. Let there be common ground in this room, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that there would be consecration in this room. May we walk out of here, Lord God, with confidence, knowing that you're with us, that you did the heavy lifting, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord God. Amen and amen. Come on, one more time. Would you put your hands together all over this room for Jesus? Come on, one more time, Greater Church. Amen. See the tipping point. Uh, we've been in Georgia now for about six years, and I, I love always looking at kind of what this city looks like. Um, when we first got here, we were absolutely blown away. How many of you are, are, are from New York? How many New Yorkers we got in the building? Gang of y'all. How many of y'all from Miami, Florida? You from my, okay. How many of you guys, let me, let me give you a quick class in geography. I don't even know if it's geography. There's a thing that is called, there's streets and then there's avenues. And usually what happens is that there's a street that goes straight and then there's an avenue that cruts across it, right? And it goes straight. Not in Georgia. <laughs> Not in Georgia. In Georgia, you can start on a street and that mug will turn into an avenue, a boulevard, a terrace, a drive. 
and then come back around to a street. I mean, the curves in this place. Me and my wife, when we first got here, and you know, I'm a grown man. You know, I don't need no GPS. I sense of direction. That's a lie. <laughs> Bro, I had to use GPS, MapQuest. <laughs> I had to use GPS for everything because we would end up on one street going north and all of a sudden we're going southeast. We're like, bro, what just happened right now? I was going that way. Now I'm going the opposite way. I, I'm from Miami, Florida. And in Miami, Florida, we got First Street. You know what happens after First Street? Second Street. <laughs> you know what comes after Second? Not like Bell's Ferry and Shiloh. And like, oh, you have to, it's like you got to play memory. You're driving and you're just like, who are even these people? Where did you get these names? And then you got to memorize. So now you're in the streets and it's like you're like your school. Like they got to, you got to learn all these different names. Why not just make it First Ave? First Ave and 13th Street. I know that if I get on 13th Street and I go straight up First Ave, I'm going to get to Second Street. Not Second Court. <laughs> what, what happens is that after some time, you get to a place where now I don't use the GPS. Now I know that there's certain roads that I'm not going that way. I could cut through this way. And though it looks like I'm going in a circle, I'm going to get there faster. And so what happens is that you start to learn things. And the more that I drive, especially my wife, she has the best sense of direction. I still use GPS sometimes. Sometimes it's because I want to know if there's traffic. And then sometimes I just don't know where I'm going at. So I just need help, especially when I go to downtown. I hate downtown. But I'm driving. And as I'm trying to go through places, I'm starting to understand that now once I know what the destination is, there's a clarity that I'm like, oh, okay, I know how to get there. I no longer need the GPS. Why? Because when there's clarity, it creates confidence inside of me. The Bible says Jesus is at the end of his ministry. He's having his last dinner. Do you imagine we're sitting there and we're across from each other at a dinner table? And this is the last dinner that we will ever have this side of eternity. Well, Jesus, obviously, before his glorified, resurrected body, he knew I'm sitting around the group with my guys and in just a second, I'm going to go through more pain than I've ever been through in my life. They're going to watch me suffer from afar. They might even just hear it because some of them are going to leave me and abandon me. They're going to reject me. I'm going to die. But I know where I'm going at. Scripture says that he knew that he was going back to the Father. As a matter of fact, verse 3 says that all power and authority has been handed to him. This is not just him saying it beforehand. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, all power and authority has been given to me. Jesus, he understood that this was happening. But there was a clarity in him that created a confidence. And he understood, I know where I'm going at. When I, when I met Lydia, we were talking, you know what I mean? And after a little while, believe it or not, I proposed to my wife five months after dating. I wasn't wasting no time, y'all, on a guilt-free sex. Praise the Lord. <laughs> We were holy. We were pure before the Lord, but only for six months, five months. And then we got married. But what's crazy is that, you know, I, 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 I used to hang out with her. We talked. We were friends for a year and a half before that, like no intimate or no, no relational, just friends. We were just friends. So I knew her. Once we started dating, I was like, yo, we're getting married. I know this. Five months later. Yo, I didn't propose to my wife with a thought in my mind. Yo, what if she says no? No, no, there was, there was a confidence inside of me. I was like, yeah, I, I think, she, I hope she says yes. <laughs> You know what I mean? If you propose to somebody and you ain't got no confidence, you might look like Fresh Prince or somebody. <laughs> like on one knee and they just walk around and leave. But there was a clarity in our relationship that created confidence in me. 
But there are times in our own life that we don't have that clarity and we don't have that confidence. We started this church in 20, um, 2017. And man, when we started this thing, it was scary because it was like, it was a handful of us. And for some of you, you know, um, there's a trailer that's right here on the other side of the building in the backside. It's a 27-foot trailer. Juan, you remember that trailer? And every, he has stories with that trailer, um, as do I. Every single Sunday, we would pull out boxes and we would set up in a high school gym. And in just a second, I want to show you a video that's going to play. And every single Sunday, we would go into this high school gym and we would have to set everything that you see up here. So all of these speakers that you see on here, you'll see it in a second. It'll come up on the screens. Um, these speakers, we would have to set the speakers up in this middle school, in this elementary gym. We would have to actually plug in cables. We would actually set up a stage every single Sunday. And then our kids department. Do we have that video? Is that, do we have it? Let's play the video. There you go. As I'm talking, there you go. Good job. And so as you watch, this is everything that would happen inside of that gym. Every single Sunday, there was staging that was set up. There was lighting. There was sound. We would set up the chairs. Uh, Juan hooked up some hooks. I went to Baker the other day, and the hooks are still there in the school. And we would set up lighting that would go across this gym. I mean, every single Sunday, we would have to do this every Sunday at 7 a.m. and have church. Can I tell you that we saw over 300 people come to know Jesus and get saved? We saw over a, a lot of people go through next steps and get baptized. People were filled with the Spirit of God. We saw God do some incredible things inside of that gym. But I had a lot of questions because I was like, yo, how long are we going to be able to do this for? Some of y'all are tired just looking at that video. <laughs> y'all like, yo, they still going. Yeah. That's not even kids. <laughs> so every single Sunday, we had to set up all of these things every single Sunday. And I didn't really have clarity as to what it was going to look like moving forward. Little did I know, and the, the amount of stress that I spent on the team and myself, and like, we're always going to do this. It's always going to be, we got to look for another school, and we need more people to help. And it was always that. Never did I have a moment where I was just, I was confident. And I was like, yo, we're in a good spot. Can I, I, I'm just being transparent. But what's crazy is that on our five-year mark, the Lord allowed for us to merge with Faith Family Church and with One Place Community. And together, we were able to build this thing called Greater Church. And can I tell you, man, that it's been pretty insane what God has done over the last few weeks. It's been pretty insane what God has done. August 13th, we got to this building. Um, and this building, it hadn't been updated since 1996, Miss Sue. Is that, that correct? I think it was 1996 when it was first done. They kept it in beautiful shape. And I mean, they, they, they made sure that this bit, the bones on this building, the roof was six years old, AC was six years old, but it just needed some remodeling to be done. And I'm going to show you a, a quick video. This is what uh, the building looked like when we first got here. And there was never in my life a confidence. You could play it. You could play it now while I'm talking. There was never a confidence in my life that we would ever get to this space and that God would allow for us to have this because there was no clarity. This is what the lobbies looked like. And it was amazing. God blessed them and they did an incredible job. And Linda and her team ripped all of the carpet out of that thing. And this is what the sanctuary that you're sitting in right now looked like with those pews. And we're so grateful, man, because of Damien, we were able to connect with Tim Newby who allowed for us to be able to, um, to be able to dispose correctly of them. And Nuno and them, all of the flooring that you see. This is the big room that we're going to remodel right now. And that's the kitchen. You know what I mean? You, if you ain't got a kitchen, you ain't a real church. <laughs> and this is what our bathrooms look like. You know what I mean? You could walk around and look at our bathrooms now. 
And this is what our, our men's bathroom looked like. Some of y'all are like, y'all too fast. Slow down. Go back. I want to see it again. And our kids department. And when we, when we got this five years ago, never in my in the wildest dreams would I see what God had did. I would have not spent so much stress worrying about what tomorrow was going to look like. If I understood, if God showed me this, I would have never worried about it. Can I bring a little bit of clarity to you? Because there's some of us in here that there's not a whole bunch of clarity in our life. And there's a lot of stress in the way that I had. But I read this book and this book is pretty cool. It's super messy. And there's some stuff in this book that I still don't even understand. But I was able to get to the end of the book. And when I got to the end of the book, I was starting to see two words. And it's that we win. That there will become a time where there will be no more death. There will be no more tears. There will be no more heartache. The abuse, the pain of this world is going to subside. And one day we will spend all eternity with Jesus. In this book, I started to see that weeping may endure for a night. It's okay to cry. Not only is it okay to cry, but you're probably going to cry. I I know it's Christianity. You think it's going to be rainbows and roses once you get saved. And it's like all hell breaks loose because you got a target on your back. Because you think the enemy wants to see you reach those people that are far from him. You think the enemy wants you to reach a 16-year-old that's about to commit suicide and has slept with half of her middle school grade already. And that that woman is going to travel the country preaching the gospel. You think he wants to allow you to speak the gospel to him? Of course not. But there comes a moment where weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It was Nehemiah who spoke it. Not the type of joy that is just happy giggles and laughter and I feel good about myself, but the type of joy that Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength, that I can stand up to pain. I can stand up to the hurts. I can stand up to the dark times and I can stand there resolute in my life, having a clarity, knowing that my destination is not a place, but it's a person whose name is Jesus. I have confidence in him. I have clarity in this thing called the scripture. That this clarity that comes from the Bible allows for me to walk through whatever situation because I know not only who's around me, but I know who's inside of me. There is a, there is a clarity that Jesus had in saying, yo, I'm going to the Father. I, I'm, I'm going to die. Some of y'all during this season, you need to watch the Passion of the Christ. And I pray that the Lord will give you not only a sense and understanding that you can see it, but I pray that the Lord will allow you to feel it. That you would sit there and understand this isn't a story that was made by Mel Gibson. This is a real life thing that happened. The scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That, that joy, that was you. He, he knew the destination. He knew, yo, I got confidence because I know the end of the story. The end of the story is that we win. The end of the story is that God loves you and that he's with you. And that in the darkest moments, that God can turn it around. Look, the Bible says that he goes and... He, he's hearing all this and he's praying and he's thinking all this. The scripture says that all of a sudden he stands up. And when he stands up, that he takes off his garments and he lays his garments down. And then he takes a robe or a towel and he puts on a towel. And I want you to understand in scripture, every time that it's talking about like, and I think even in today, 2023, is the same thing. Um, the way that you dress, it usually gives a little bit of a detail of your identity, right? So when it talks about garment, the prodigal son, they put a coat on him. Like it was always the garments, the priestly, the ephod and the, the vestments that they had. It always identified you as something, right? Like you never see a police officer with police, with a uniform on playing basketball. Like a bride doesn't come in in basketball shorts. What's up, y'all? If you see a bride and you know it's the most beautiful person, it's the most honored person in the room, outside of my wife, because if she's at the wedding, you feel me? <laughs> but, but it identifies you. Here's what scripture said. 
Scripture said that Jesus took his, his clothes, his garments, and, and he laid it aside. And then he picked up a towel and, and he put it on. I want you to see something because I think this is a picture of the gospel. But I think it's real practical in nature even for us to understand. And for some of us, we feel like we're at this bottom of the barrel. And you look at all of these initiatives and all these things and you're like, yo, how am I? I don't even have $20. Like, I don't even, what am I going to do? And you feel sometimes like you're at the bottom looking up. Man, you're so much more than that. Can I show you something? Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, it says, but Jesus, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeliness of men. Jesus, he stripped himself of his divinity. He stepped out of heaven and who he was as God, he stripped it and he walked the earth as a regular man. Watch the second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. It says, for you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. That Jesus, my favorite verse, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, he who knew no sin, became sin so that me and you can become the righteousness of God. Look at the uneven exchange of a God that tries to find common ground with us. Like if I try to find common ground with somebody, it's because I want to connect to them. That word common ground, it's a study and there's some psycholinguistics that actually defined what this looks like. And I want you to see this. Common ground is a concept introduced by psycholinguistics, which is the psychological use of language. Herb Clark and Susan Brennan. The definition is this, common ground refers to the mutual knowledge, belief, and assumption that partners in a conversation rely on in order to communicate effectively. The process of establishing common ground is called grounding. This is what Jesus did. He stepped out of glory, his divinity, his holiness, that he has no sin, and he came down to meet us exactly where we were. Look at what scripture says in Psalms. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, Psalms chapter eight, verse four through five, the son of man that you visit him. You have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. He's speaking about us. Jesus, who stripped himself of divinity, he came down to meet us. Who are we for him to meet us? Not only meet us, but become just like us so that you can get to a place and understand that Jesus came to rescue you, but he came to be like you, to relate with you. See, this is what I don't, I don't think the church understands very much because we tend to put this Jesus as this big white bearded man that's up in heaven and he's looking at you for everything that you do wrong and everything you did good there and I might bless you. It goes beyond that. My kids, I love them to death. But if my kids cuss me out, leave the house, they're going to die, but they're going to Jesus, but God bless them. But, but they're still my kids. Like I can't do nothing. They can leave and they can go to hungry. They're still my kids. I love them. My best is always going to be for them. Everything that I have, I'm going to give to them. There are moments when I'm demonstrating my love and those moments that I demonstrated my love, the smaller they were, I used to get down on a knee. Come here, baby. Come here. And I would hug them. I would meet them where they are. See, here's the truth. God may have had to meet you a little bit higher, but me, he had to find me in a prison cell. I was so broken and so dark and so messed up that he had to come rescue me. He didn't look at me and said, I'm going to wait till you get cleaned up. I'm going to wait till you do the Osbury revival. I'm going to wait till you do uh, the little songs and you understand it. No, I still had drugs in my system and God was chasing me. I still was broken and messed up and he was after me. He was loving me. He left everybody else to come seek me in my broken, darkest state. That's where Jesus came and found me. 
For some of us, man, we think, no, I'm, I'm too gone. Whether we're watching online or we're in this place, there's no way that God can use me. Do you know that every single one of the men that were around him, all 12 of them, left him and forsake, forsook him? Do you understand that Jesus still died for the one and cleansed the feet of the one that was going to betray him? There is a common ground, I believe, that God finds and that hopefully at the cross you would understand that God isn't looking at me better because I'm a, I'm a man of God. Hallelujah. We, we got a call over our life. Every single person who is in this place, there's, there's things that God has placed in our heart. And wherever you are, he finds you. He loves you enough not to leave you there, though. Scripture says that he goes and he, he takes a basin and he takes some water and he goes to the disciples and, and one by one, he begins to wash their feet. I want you to understand that there's, a, there's, there's practical implications. Yo, their feet were dirty. You know what I mean? Like they walked through the Palestinian cobblestone, Palestinian cobblestone, and their feet would get dirty. And it was very customary for them to pull up to a house. And when they pulled up to the house, they would have a bowl of water for them to wash their own feet. Or they would have people who would come and would help them to wash their feet. But it was just customary. That was normal. Now, I, don't, I want you to understand that there's some normal things that we do in the kingdom, right? Like, yo, uh, when we become children of God, when God has rescued us, he has found us, he creates this common ground to be able to snatch you and bring you close to him, right? But there's some basic stuff. Like, yo, we all, we all pray, right? We might not pray as much as we want to, but that's a basic principle. We all read our Bible. You know what I mean? Like, may not do it as much as we want to. But we read our Bible. We go to church. We fellowship with others. Our tithes and our offerings, those belong to God. These are just basic principles. So I don't necessarily think, I don't want to go away from the basic principle of what Jesus was trying to teach in humility and servitude in washing the disciples' feet. But I also believe that there's a little bit more of a, there's a little deeper, uh, 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 I feel like there's another layer that we can peel off to this thing that I think it teaches us a little bit about the call that God has put in our life. That we're not just these bottom of the barrel Christians that just because I don't know as many Bible verses as you, just because I don't know the latest Christian songs the way that you know, just because I started church earlier doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan and a purpose for my own personal life. I, I want to show you something. Uh, a few months ago, actually a few weeks ago, I believe we started talking about the tabernacles. Y'all remember that? How many of y'all remember the tabernacles, right? And I believe that it's a spiritual uh, a journey that we take where we take the outer courts. It, it signifies blood and purity, sanctification, and then you walk into the inner courts and that's, that's the process of sanctification, but it steps up. That's where you start to see the Holy Spirit active and alive in your life and you start to be used by God. And then you get to a place where you die and you get to the Holy of Holies where you cease to exist. But, but for some of us, I, I want to show you this because I, I really believe that Jesus was showing us something. He's washing the disciples' feet, but he said that you're already clean. So here's what I think was happening. When you walk through the outer courts, remember there was the, the, the brazen altar where they would sacrifice the animals. And then there was the brazen labor, which was a mirror-like substance where they would clean themselves up. And then you would walk into the inner place. And inside of there, remember, was the golden candlesticks, which represented of the Holy Spirit. And then there was the, the table of showbread, which was representative of the word of God, that they would eat it. Remember that? That you can smell it, that desire of reading the word of God, that it's just like bread, like God, you would walk in there and you would sense it. But then they would have the altar of incense and the altar of incense was right before you get into the Holy of Holies, which was the Ark of the Covenant and then the mercy seat. Here's what would happen though. There would come a moment where they would get to there and Exodus chapter 30 is your homework. I'm not going to read it all because I want to finish in time. Exodus chapter 30. 
in Exodus chapter 40. Go back and read it because what they would do is that when they would get to this place, they would have to start back over. So the, the brazen altar, right? This is significant of the blood of Jesus Christ, of the sacrifice of Jesus. And then they would go to the brazen laver, which is, yo, God, purify me. They would clean themselves up and then they would go back in to go into the Holy of Holies. Here's what would happen though. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and I believe that it was a, it was a purification but, but I also believe that it was a consecration. Why? Because for them to enter into the Holy of Holies, they would go back out, they would get themselves cleaned up, and then they would walk back in there, and then they would be able to cross the threshing and be able to go into the Holy of Holies. Only one person can be there. Remember, 10 by 10 by 10. It is in Jesus. Ephesians, 30 different times, it says that we are in Christ. We have to cease. We have to die to ourselves. That's the ultimate act of worship. Romans chapter 12, verses 2. It says, I, be, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as living sacrifice. We have to die. We get caught up in Jesus, and then we're able to enter into the Holy of Holies. We have boldness to approach the throne of grace because of the high priest Jesus. We're in him. So now you're in this holy, holy. I just went super deep. Go back a couple of weeks and listen to the message. God bless you. <laughs> so now, it's like, what just happened? So they're there. And when he gets in there, we had this conversation. Y'all remember? What, what, are they, what is he getting in there to do? Lord, let me tell you about this woman. God, if you don't get me another job, because I'm going to hit that boss with a two-piece and a biscuit. I'm trying, Jesus. Like, what, is he, what, do he, what does the priest do when he gets in there? Does he start pleading for himself? Lord, help me right now. I need you. Hey, Edobo, Hakuna Matata. E Honda from Street Fighter. What does he do? What they would do is that every time that a priest would go inside there, they would never think about themselves. They were always making petitions and praying for the people. They were sprinkling blood as a sacrifice to cleanse the people. Their mind was always thinking about the people. Could it be that Jesus was teaching us and that he was consecrating the disciples. They were getting their feet clean. Though they were clean, they were getting their feet clean as if they were about to walk into the holies of holies and they were about to become kings and priests. Watch what happens. Because now the disciples from that very moment when Jesus died, they no longer thought about themselves. Every single one of them, including Judas, though he killed himself, they all died because of Jesus. John, the revelator, is the only one that he got burned in oil and he was on the island of Patmos and he wrote the book of Revelation. He's the only one that survived a little bit more, but every single one of them were martyred. Can I, can I, can I take it a little deeper? I want to show you something. Look at this. This is where it gets good. Y'all ready? Watch this. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, nuns, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet for I have given you an example and you should do as I have done. So now, if we think about this, where else in scripture did you see feet washing? But where else in scripture did you see the commission? Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I am with you to the ends of earth. What Jesus was saying is that this thing cannot stop here. This thing has to continue to move forward. But Chino, that was the disciples. That was just the disciples. That was the apostles. They had to do that. You know, it was the leaders. Can I show you something that John the Revelator wrote? Revelation chapter 1 verse 5c. 
and verse six. So the end of five, verse five, it says, read it with me. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own, <laughs> in his own blood and has made us to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So Jesus didn't necessarily just wash us with water to make sure that our feet are clean. He washed us with the blood of Jesus. Not only did he wash us with the blood of Jesus for salvation, but he washed us with the blood of Jesus to be able to propel us to understand that it's not just Chino on a microphone in ministry, but that he called us to be kings or queens, my sisters in Jesus name and priests. That God called us to make offerings, to die to ourselves, to walk into the Holy of Holies and to serve people in humility where it's not about me and in servitude where it's all about other people. As we look at Vision 2023 and where we're going as a church, we're dying to ourselves to be able to help and rescue not only people who are in our neighborhood, but people in the globe, the prostitutes in Delk Road, the young man that is far from Jesus, those that are in hungry. We have a responsibility. It was Jesus. It, it doesn't just, can I tell y'all something? This church is, is beautiful to watch what God is doing. And I mean, man, it's ridiculous, man. Like every single Sunday, it feels like more and more people are coming and welcome. We love you. So grateful that you're here. We're a crazy church. <laughs> if you come to think you're going to listen to your Libras, make sure today you leave your windows closed. Scorpio, make sure that you walk outside today. We're not that. You're not going to hear a, a good little word that you can scratch us. Oh, that was amazing. Praise the Lord. What are we eating, honey? No, 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 no. We're going to scratch you the wrong way because we're going to put you to work. And listen, putting you to work doesn't mean that we're going to abuse you and make you work at the church for 15 hours every single day and not pay you a dime. <laughs> what we talk about work is that there's a call over your life. And if we can light that flame and if we can fan that flame, your coworker, who is the reason why you wanted to quit your job, you're going to start looking at him as ministry and you're going to stop looking at him as somebody that you hate and somebody that you want to reach for Jesus. All of a sudden, your next door neighbor that you hear doing some wild stuff, you're not looking at them and saying, oh my God, they're so crazy. They need to go to church. No, we want to shift you into a place that you begin to tell them, yo, can I buy you lunch? Can I spend a little bit of time with you? Can I tell you what God did with me? Can I tell you that when I was eight years old, I was so far from the Lord. I had no idea who he was. I joined a gang at the age of eight. Three of us beat each other up. I got kicked out of two schools during that time. I got arrested two times for stealing during that time. By the time I was 16, I had bullet holes in my body. My neck was ripped open. My head was split. I had been to jail nine different times. I had drugs in my system. A year later, I had a child for the first time. And by the time I was 19, everything culminated by going to jail 13 different times and getting sentenced to five years in prison. But those five years in prison introduced me to the gospel. And here I am now, 42 years later, and I am a man on fire for Jesus. I'm not worried about the devil. I'm not worried about my past. I'm using it to bring glory to Jesus because there was a tipping point because there was a tipping point there was a there was a tipping point uh, Mark and, Marcus Gladwell he, he wrote a, a really dope book on that from a system standpoint but one of the examples that he has that I love in it is that he talks about it uh, a few weeks ago months ago I think we had our, our baptism and we had the baptism tank and I remember we had this baptism tank in our other it's a large circular black circular thing that we put water in trying to be cool and trendy even though we have a baptism behind the drums um but we 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 had like i don't even know man we probably had tell me what we had maybe a hundred gallons probably goes in the 50 gallons something like that i don't know something crazy we one time we were like yo we could just pick it up and take it out 
there was probably this much water in it. And we were like, oh, we got this. You know, Kevin could do it by himself. Kevin just put that, oh, here, let's go. <laughs> and we were like, we can take it up. And we try to pick it up. Grown men, they go to the gym. I go to the gym in my heart. And we're like, <laughs> we're like, we were like, yo, this is crazy. It's heavy. Well, I remember this one time we were at Barber Middle School. And we had that same tank and we were outside. And we were able to take buckets because our little pump didn't work and we started taking water out and we started taking water out and we started taking water out and we got into a place where it was like yo still heavy but like five of us one I don't know if you remember this but like five or six of us we're like picking this thing up and we're all like shaking everybody's like lift you're just sitting there watching us we're arguing with each other you know we're fighting with each other nothing like controversy and pressure to bring out the best in people and we're <laughs> and we finally get that thing where we lifted it up and all of a sudden it got to a point that it was just so easy. That's called the tipping point. Where if you take a car or you take something really heavy and you lift that thing up, there comes a moment that my daughter, who is seven years old, that with her pinky, she's able to tip that thing over. That is called the tipping point. Can I tell you that it was Jesus who created clarity for us? That clarity that Jesus gave us is the reason why we have confidence. It was Jesus who came down. He left the splendor of heaven to come meet us on common ground. He's the one that came. I couldn't get to God. People say that, oh yeah, I remember when I found God. You never found God. God found you and he found you at your worst. Now here it is that God, he creates this common ground. But then it's the same Jesus that consecrates us. Meaning that he cleans us and he sets you apart for use. Jesus did the heavy lifting and all he asked us for is to tip it over that we would watch his blood wash so many people that we would watch the see the clarity the common ground the consecration it was Jesus that created those things and it comes to a tipping point and that tipping point is going to change Woodstock that tipping point is going to change Ackworth it's going to change Marietta it's going to change Kennesaw it's going to change the United States of America I believe it's going to change Hungary I believe it's going to change Cuba and Africa and Haiti we're believing that when we get this tipping point right and we get to this place right there Jesus did all the heavy lifting and all he's telling us is I just need you to tip this thing over my job is not to, to sit here and preach and, and be this man of God. It's all about me and I'm the tipping point. No, we are the tipping point. You know what my job is? Can I show it to you real quick? I'm going to show you something. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 12. Jesus, speaking of him, it says, And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. During the summer, we're going to unpack what that looks like and we're going to explain to you what those offices are. But he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Apostles are the ones that start churches and start different initiatives. Some prophets. Prophets are the ones that forewarn and the ones that encourage, edify, and exhort. Those are the ones that actually help you when you're wrong. They bring you back in. Correction. Some evangelists, they go out to reach people. Some pastors, these are the shepherds. This is what I am right now or the a role in which I'm operating in today. And teachers, which I'm operating in that role. And then watch this. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Jesus Christ. Yo, so hold on. So it doesn't mean that, so I don't have to start my, my 501c3, my chinolifeministries.net. I don't, I don't, wait, I can't sell 7.99 pieces of cloth to bless you. 
So when it's saying that I'm a prophet and apostle, it doesn't mean that I'm the man of God. Call me what you need to. I'm Apostle Chino. I started a church. Call me the apostle. I tell my wife all the time, baby, call me Lord. Like the women of old. Like the women of old. That's exactly what she says. It's like, you're stupid. Shut up. I'm like, we watch all these old movies and they're like, Lord, can you help? Yeah, call me that, girl. It's like, I'm going to call you with a black eye. But my job and my responsibility is not to live in that role. My job and my responsibility is not to just be the man of God. My job and my responsibility, the reason why gave me that task, and he himself gave to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Jesus Christ. It means that my responsibility, my job, is to not only motivate you to good works, but to be able to train you up. That's why next steps is so important. That's why our G groups are so important. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to equip you, we're trying to train you so that you can go out into the mission field and that you can make a difference in your world. That this thing isn't just about us, but it's about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Can I explain to you just from a biblical standpoint, a shepherd, which is who I am, I'm a pastor, right? So I shepherd sheep. The shepherd cannot reproduce sheep, that's unnatural. The only person that can reproduce sheep is sheep. My responsibility as a pastor, as a shepherd, is to make sure that the sheep are healthy that their reproductive system, that they're eating correctly, that they're fed and that they're healthy so that they can reproduce sheep. But now we all have a job. This is a part of the kingdom of God. We all are a part of this thing and we all have a call over our life to reproduce. Thank you. Thank you, sister. You get amen. Praise the Lord. She get it. Some of y'all are like, no, I just, just talk. Do the funny thing. <laughs> no. I hope you see the tipping point. That, that tipping point, for some of us, man, it feels like that tipping point, we've been in that tipping point forever. And it's not necessarily like a tipping point towards something good where God is about to release his blessings. And anybody know what zero times zero is? Anybody know what zero times a hundred is? What about zero times a thousand? Mathematicians, what about zero times a million? Jesus never called anybody who was just sitting on their porch doing nothing. Every disciple that he called was doing something. They had a job. They had an assignment. God is always going to multiply, even if it's point one. He's always going to multiply something. He can't multiply zero because there's nothing to multiply. So our responsibility, our job is to get you to do something and then watch as God blesses it. So there's a tipping point where you're going to start to watch the resources. Why did we get a truck from Chris? because we were already talking about blessing our community and feeding our community. Why do we have food that's coming from different places? Why do we have all of these things happening? Because we started to feed people, because we started to do stuff. And God is always going to multiply it. But for some of us, we're at this tipping point where we don't feel like it's gonna be the blessings of God financially and prosperity and health and all of these stuff. And he's gonna give me new orphanages and I have a ministry and I wanna go out into the community and reach the prostitutes. Some of us, we feel like we're tipping and it's everything in the world that is crashing over us. And we feel like we have no escape. And for some of us in this room, we feel claustrophobic. We're like, yo, Vision Sunday and all of that cool thing, that's great, but I wish somebody would do that for me. And in this place, you feel like you're so far from God. And I don't know, I, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, it, but if you feel like that, it's just like every single morning, it's just like you're waiting for the world to crash. And you're so trapped in shame and guilt. And yesterday is chasing you. And the bills are chasing you. And you have no hope. 
I want to introduce you to a man who we've been talking about here for a while. And his name is Jesus. And today, not only can you find a hope and this tipping point where God can actually save you and rescue you from that, but he can actually turn it around and use it for your good. My story that I just shared a minute ago, I felt like it was tipping on me. And it wasn't until the moment that God used my story and my mess and turned it into a message. And now I'm on a platform preaching. But if you would have saw me just a few years before, but it was Jesus who rescued me. How does that happen, Chino? Super easy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you shall be saved. So for the mouth, you confess and you pray. And with the heart, we believe unto salvation. So faith comes from believing. That's what happens. And then you open up your mouth and you confess. And here in, in just a moment, I want to give you that opportunity. Would you do me a favor and would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a second? Everybody in this room, just out of respect for the person who's next to you. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. The mission of Greater Church is to reach and empower all people. And we hope that this message met you wherever you find yourself on the journey. If God is using this ministry to impact your life, please head to our website at www.greater.church where you can read a message from our pastors, partner with us by giving online, and learn more about what is happening in the life of our church. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on all social media platforms at My 